hear the word of our Lord from the Gospel of St. Matthew, the 28th chapter, beginning in the 19th verse. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Hear the word of our Lord from the Gospel of St. Mark, the 16th chapter, beginning in the 15th verse. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, hear the word of our Lord from the book of Acts, chapter 1, beginning in the sixth verse. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's talk about evangelism. Because everybody out there, at least everybody I've spoken to, and in every church that I've attended, pastored over, visited, everything, everybody in the Lutheran church is pretty worried. The church is dying. You go to any number of confessional or pietistic Lutheran churches, and one gigantic problem is, well, most of the faces that you see there are old. They're either from the baby boomer generation or the silent generation, and maybe one... 20th of the congregation is young families with children. Not many Xers, even fewer millennials, and barely any kids. How did this happen? That's the first thing we have to ask before we talk about evangelism. How is it that the Lutheran church is in such steep decline? After all, we have the truth. The Lutheran denomination is the true denomination. It is the biblical denomination. It is the handmaiden of the gospel. We are gospel people preaching law and gospel, and we are rightly administering the sacraments in accordance with Holy Scripture. How could it be that Matthew Harrison goes up there in various conferences and tells people to expect more decline to the point of getting as low as 500,000 people? Yes, he generated some controversy with that. And uh, while Elka isn't really Lutheran and it's barely Christian, there are a few Christian churches in Elka, I mean... Let's face it, guys, we all know why they're dying. But let's not talk about Elka here. That's an obvious open-shut case. We're talking about the good Lutheran churches, the LCMS churches, the Wells churches, 
Maybe if you're feeling spicy, the ELS and the Eldona Lutheran churches. How are so many of them losing members? How are so many of them old, aging, declining, dying, and shrinking? Well, on the one hand, some people will say, this is because we live in a terrible era of apostasy. And they have a point. Our culture makes it extremely difficult for the church to compete with the world at large. You have one day out of the week, assuming that you are a regular church attender, you have one day out of the week to hear God's word and to have a good influence on your life. And if you are a devout Lutheran, you probably show up for Wednesday night Bible study or the Wednesday compline service. But for the other days of the week, what gets shoved in your face? The world. What gets shoved in your kid's face? The world. What gets shoved in everybody's face with every single billboard, everything on AM and FM radio, everything on the internet, is a non-stop flood of constant temptation, constant evil messaging. We live in the land of lies. Duh. So of course we're going to see less people going to church. It is reasoned. It is assumed. You know, back in the day, people went to church because that's what you did, not because they were actual believers. The idea is, is how do you compete? You can't. So the people out there who are easily swayed and who were never really devout believers in the first place are going to just drop off. There you go. You can't avoid it, such as the great apostasy. As for how true or how accurate that is, I would say, good point. We live in an era that is excruciatingly hostile to Christianity, and it is very evangelistic. After all, it was 10 years or so that we had to deal with a new atheist headache where they were militantly trying to get our kids and us to peel away from the church and die spiritually. This is what they wanted to do, and that was just one vector of society. Well, free porn, militant, politicized idolatry everywhere you turn, and um, the country just about ready to fall into some sort of civil conflict over having less and less and less in common as we are all more and more and more atomized. Yes, in this period in history, I don't expect entirely full standing room only churches, especially not among Lutheran churches. But I don't think that's the full picture. And I think it honestly boils down to a failure on the part of many, many, many Lutheran churches to do proper evangelism. Now, here's what Lutheran churches get right. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and then, and then, teaching them to do all that I have commanded you. In other words, how do you make a disciple? You baptize them. That is the first step in making a disciple. We baptize our babies, and then we teach them. That's good. We teach them in a catechesis, in confirmation class, in everything we have Sunday school, and we recognize the doctrine of vocation includes evangelism baked into the cake for 90% of our professions. The pastor evangelizes to his own congregation. You are not done with evangelism just because you've already been converted. No, we need to be evangelized to, and we need to hear law and gospel preached to us throughout our entire lives. 
because we are poor, miserable, dirty, rotten, stinking sinners. We need it. We need to always be brought back to the foot of the cross. And in vocation, we also see parents, parenting being a vocation a whole lot of us engage in, parents evangelize their children. They catechize them. They teach them. They preach the word to them. A woman singing Jesus loves me this I know to her baby is doing the work of an evangelist because that is part of her vocation. And husbands and fathers, breadwinners, they evangelize to their family by dragging them all to church. <laughs> That's just part of the deal, right? And so the Lutheran church does do that part pretty well for people that are already Lutherans. What about the people that aren't, though? Then we run into some problems. When it comes to the people who are not Lutherans already, or they are not even Christian, in evangelism, the usual thing that I heard, and this is many churches have interacted with, it is always about making the church appealing to outsiders. Whether or not we want to admit it, the idea is let's make the church user-friendly, seeker-friendly even. That's right, we've fallen into the seeker-sensitive trap. <laughs> so, so suddenly you have churches that are like, we have a coffee bar now and we let Martha play her guitar on Sundays. Isn't this special? You know, people are really going to find out about our church. They're going to hear about our services, and it's going to be so great, don't you know? And then that doesn't happen. I mean, sometimes it does. But it's kind of ugly when it does, because a lot of the times it's a church that gives up 80% of everything that made it Lutheran in the first place that starts attracting outsiders. They're like, wow, this is less Lutheran. And what I what was really stopping me from joining a Lutheran church was how Lutheran it was. I don't think any of us really want to do that. You don't want to get rid of the liturgy. You don't want to call confirmation class new membership and stop having the small catechism as like the central piece of it, right? Oftentimes when Lutheran churches try this kind of feminine, I'm pretty and I'm attractive and I've got my life together, therefore a man should just show up at my doorstep to court me. When a church does that kind of strategy of let's be appealing and people will magically show up, they miss the part where you have to let people know that there's a church for them to go to. And they miss the part where there's some direct evangelism that needs to happen. And I'm willing to wager I am definitely willing to wager that if you had members of your church being willing and able to evangelize, to spend even an hour every week passing out pamphlets, inviting friends to church, doing conversations and stuff like that, I bet you anything that a whole lot of these churches would no longer be old, gray, dwindling and dying. If you really wanted that kind of growth, you could do that. And you should. I think all of our churches should. Because that's what Jesus tells us to do. He gives the church the solemn commandment to spread the gospel to all creation. To make disciples out of all nations. Our mission is never done. Not until Christ himself returns and the end of days is upon us. But with that, Lutherans will claim that they do that. 
in their congregations. After all, evangelism is a corporate thing, and the body has many limbs, so they have different jobs. So the idea is let's subcontract out our evangelism to a few people. All right, we're going to pay for some missionaries, and then we're going to have our pastor do evangelism, and maybe we'll have a, an outreach committee or an evangelism committee in our church. That's every church I've ever been to has that sort of thing going on. What's the problem with it? And why isn't that solving the problem of these dying churches? Well, for one, missionaries are on the other side of the world. You are fulfilling the Great Commission in Brazil, but not here, not in your neighborhood. Why do you love your neighbors that are across the world more than your neighbors that are next to you, that are in the fentanyl clinic trying to not die of an overdose right next door? A lot of these churches are willing to spend buku bucks to go fund missionaries who will probably end up evangelizing to people who are better Christians than them, but they're not willing to go pass out pamphlets or nail some stuff to doors like a good old Dr. Martin did. They're not willing to do that because that's somebody else's job. And that's where it falls onto the committee. The committee has to do something to bring people into the church and they start brainstorming and usually the results of their brainstorming is we need to have a coffee bar and we need to be seeker sensitive. Just speaking from experience here. I know not every single Lutheran church is like this, but that's usually the conclusion they come to is let's make our church more appealing to people that aren't Lutherans and probably aren't even Christians. That's what we need. Because, you know, our theology is solid. Our preaching may be solid. Um, I can't think of anything else we should do about this other than make our church look nicer and be better, be prettier. And it still doesn't work. So then it falls to the pastor. The Lutheran attitude of that's somebody else's vocation, that's somebody else's job, falls onto the pastor. Again, to be fair, the pastor's job is to proclaim the word and to administer the sacraments. Yes, that's true, and that does include evangelism. So, in every church that I've pastored, I have been told, hey, we need you to help us grow. You, we need you to help us get more members. And I've said, aye, aye, I will do my best. One church, I had them print out 500 evangelism packets and said, okay, I'm going to take one day out of every week to be my evangelism day. The same day I'm making house calls and visitations and sick calls to our shut-ins. Okay, I'm going to do that, but I'm also going to spend a few hours doing some evangelism. And we got some people coming into the church. We, we got some new members from that after a few months. What's the problem, though? I was the only one doing it. <laughs> I was the only guy trying to get other people into the church. The rest of the church didn't want to do it, and then they complained that they had only gotten four new members, and then five people had dropped off the radar from the membership roster during that time. Well, I would have appreciated the help. I really would have. And in another church, we were able to get a couple families in. We were starting to grow, and um, the church wasn't really happy with that after a while. Because, yeah, that's what we're supposed to do, but... They would complain about the state of the church and ask whether it was appropriate to be bringing new people in. One guy can only do so much, assuming he's willing to do the whole foot on pavement, go talk to people and invite people in kind of deal. So back to that 
first guy, circling back to the guy who talks about how we should expect this because of the great apostasy, you know, the kind of things he says. Look, we need more people, but we're in hard times, and we're in a culture that is totally strayed from its Christian roots. We're not going to see many people coming into church. He is correct, but in my humble opinion, I'm going to say that just means that evangelism will be like pulling teeth. It will be hard, it will require patience, but it will be worth it. The more you do it, the more you will find it bears fruit. How do we know this? Because of Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If people hear the gospel, they will eventually convert. Some of them will. God's word does not return back to him empty. It does what it sets out to do. God's word works. So it bugs me to no end to think that I have never seen a Lutheran street preacher. I have never heard a Lutheran during like fellowship hour talk about how he was trying to invite people to church or he was trying to share his faith. It, you almost get the feeling like that's that's yucky Baptist language. That's icky evangelical stuff that they do. And we're not supposed to do that. We're Lutherans and we're good monergists, right? So um, we'll leave that up to God. We'll let the Holy Spirit do his thing and he will bring in people. What's the problem with that? The problem with it, theologically speaking, is that we all understand God likes to work through means. And in the proclamation of the word and of the gospel, our Lord Jesus in Mark 16 verse 15 has made it clear that human beings are a means by which his word is proclaimed, his gospel. So yes, we are good monergists. Yes, we agree with the bondage of the will. However, comma, we are supposed to be the tools through which that happens. So Lutheran evangelism needs that. We need people passing out pamphlets. We need people doing face-to-face, -face, IRL, beat your feet on pavement kind of evangelism in addition to everything else we're currently doing. It is not enough to say this is somebody else's job. It's not my problem. I do evangelism when I turn in my tithe or when I make an offering. Now, by all means, offerings are good. And for some people, that is literally all they can do if you are disabled or if you are aging and you don't have the energy to go out anymore you're right and this is a ministry if anybody wants to donate please email me very underscore lutheran at tutanota.com i appreciate donations that help me keep going with an outreach that reaches well you know the people we reach out to that's all great but at a certain point you need to do the work of an evangelist and bring people in. If you don't know how to share your faith, that's okay. Invite somebody to church. And if you don't know how to invite people, that's okay. Support the people that do, being on the welcoming committee or something like that, to make sure that people who come into the church feel safe and would be okay making this their spiritual home. We need to do more of this. We really do. But I think there are some roadblocks. Some really, really dangerous roadblocks psychologically and theologically that are hurting some people here in what should be a good, healthy college try to get more people into the church. And what do I mean by 
psychological roadblocks. I met people who were uncomfortable with me doing evangelism because that meant the church would change. They saw their church as their turf. It was their feudal state. It was theirs. And new people coming in threatened that. That is my experience. They did not like it one bit. They did not like the new people there. They didn't make them feel comfortable. They didn't even so much as smile at them because they did not want their Lutheran duchy to look a little bit different or to actually hear messages that those new converts needed to hear on Sunday morning. They had a pastor previous to me who loved to preach gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and he was amazing at preaching. He was fantastic at doing this. I loved that man's preaching. But all the new people coming in wanted me to be a firebrand preacher that preached hard, harsh, stark law and gospel. So I have one part of the congregation that wants to hear gentle Jesus, meek and mild. That's what they had for 10 years. And the other part wants me to preach basically fire and brimstone. If I compromised even a little, if I gave the newer members of the church even just a little bit of what they wanted, the other side of the church would just about get ready to riot. They were so angry about that, even though that's what the new people wanted. They were resistant to change, and I wonder if it is that fear of change, that fear of the results of evangelism, that makes people really uncomfortable. To say the least of the fear of rejection, like people don't understand, if you evangelize to 100 people in a day, or if you pass out 100 pamphlets and you get one visitor on Sunday, that's a victory. That is a major victory. That means one person heard it and the other ones you pray for them. Then maybe a seed of faith is planted when you say, hey, listen, I want to invite you to this church. Jesus loves you. We are a great church family. Could you just stop in on Sunday, see how you like it? I mean, we're Lutherans after all. There's probably going to be a potluck on some Sunday or another with some great German food. If you get one person, that's a victory. That's a soul that ends up saved, that hears God's word, his gospel preached to their souls. So the fear of rejection comes in. And then there's a theological roadblock, and this is where I get mad. This is where I get angry. Let's turn back to Mark 16 and see what Jesus says. So Mark 16, our Lord commands us, he commands the entire church, go into all the world, and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And that's where a lot of Lutherans say, no thank you, Mr. Jesus. I am a sola scriptura Lutheran, which means I've read the holy and inspired words of Walther, who says I should not throw my pearls before swine and not give the gospel to the unrepentant. I will not do that, Jesus. Thank you very much for your kindly counsel and your advice here. But I'm not going to do that because they are not penitent enough for me. That makes me angry. Law and gospel is the true biblical hermeneutic framework. Law and gospel is true. Law and gospel is how we read the Bible. But if law and gospel was ever going to be an excuse to disobey our Lord Jesus Christ, then I would rather be thrown into the ocean and die then tell Jesus, no, because I'm just so Lutheran, because I'm so biblical, Jesus. Get on my level, Jesus. To be honest with you, the difference between 
preaching law and gospel and in counseling with law and gospel is that in preaching you do both because you don't know the hearts of the people that you are preaching to. In counseling, you give counsel that is law or gospel based, based upon what you are told, because you can't read somebody's mind. When it comes to evangelism, the dynamic should be gospel-centered, A, because Jesus told you to, B, because you don't know the hearts of the people that you are witnessing to. When we do evangelism, it has to be gospel-centered. Again, Jesus told us to. We do not know the hearts of the people we are witnessing to if they are a bunch of randos. If they are people we know, then they need to be invited to church to hear the law and gospel. Something, anything other than the people I have known in real life who have told me flat out they were not going to evangelize to those reprobates out there. And if you're thinking this is about you, it probably isn't. Listen, that way of thinking is lordship salvation through the back door lordship salvation is john macarthur's baby the idea that you need a lord before you have a savior you need to do the kind of repentance that mr macarthur liked where you grovel before jesus's feet and you do all these works to become worthy of calling yourself a believer or else you are not worthy of it you cannot even consider yourself a prospective convert until you have cleaned up your life perfectly and then maybe Jesus would let you uh, hear him out. That was Lordship Salvation. It's a horrible violation of sola fide. And we can thumb our noses all we want at MacArthur. And we can say how much superior we are to him because we don't do that. But then we do it by the back door when we tell people, I'm going to preach law to you first and foremost in all of my evangelism or else and you are going to listen to this until you feel penitent enough to listen to me how is that not lordship salvation oh oh well we don't tell them they have to repent in such sense as they actually do something well no you're right you're right it's diet lordship salvation where we preach the law to them, if we're preaching to them at all, because oftentimes this just leads to a total dismissal and just like, ew, you're yucky, don't touch me, kind of attitude. What ends up happening is I'm just going to preach fire and brimstone to you and I'm going to call you nasty names and do polemics until you feel bad and then maybe you'll listen to the gospel when you're groveling at my feet instead of Jesus' feet. And then we can address all the stuff that I want you to do to change your life after you have begun to cry and grovel at my feet. How many Lutherans do you know that became Lutherans using that evangelism strategy? How many Lutherans do you know that actually do that evangelism strategy? Where they just go out, find people that look bad, like they don't have their lives together, and then just call them evil, wicked, reprobate sinners until they are uh, sad enough about themselves to become Christians. How many? Go ahead, tell me how many. Because I don't know a single one. Most of the people that think this way don't do evangelism in the first place. It's a great, comfortable excuse to not do what Jesus said. And Jesus does not say preach the law and then the gospel to every single creature. He says preach the gospel to all of creation. I'm pretty sure 
he will take care of the law part. By all means, it's not our job to judge the hearts of men. That is God's job. Now, am I saying we should get rid of all polemics? Should we just be uh, pussy-footing around every issue and be so super nice that nobody ever hears the bad news that we are all sinners in need of a savior? Absolutely not. Uh, again, most Lutheran polemics throughout the centuries have been towards public figures who were perverting the faith or directly attacking it. It was in obedience to St. Paul telling Titus, hey, rebuke these false teachers sharply. That's needed. Absolutely, polemics is a needed thing. But is that really needed in case of the non-evangelized, the non-Christian that we're trying to reach? No, that's not what Jesus tells us to do. We have to give them the gospel. That's what they honestly need right now. Can we still condemn their sin? Absolutely. Can we still say that it's disgusting and preach both law and gospel to them as is necessary? Yes. You might notice that a pastor preaches a sermon where it is law and gospel together. He does not look at his congregation and say, Oh, that one jerk head. I'm not going to preach any gospel this sermon because this guy, he's not repenting of his sin. So all I'm going to do is just fire and brimstone for 20 minutes and call that a sermon because <laughs> Walter says he shouldn't receive the gospel. I don't want to have this guy have any carnal security in his sins. Ew, that's bad. No, pastors will do both because you can't judge the heart, so you have to do both. It's the same way with evangelism, but a center on the gospel. Some people are going to try to resist you, and that's when the law needs to come in to kind of poke and prod them a little bit. But the gospel is the main message here, not the law. If we put the law first, and if we are all law and no gospel, or even 90% law and 10% gospel, then how are we any different from the Judaizers? How are we any different from all of the works-based salvation people out there preaching nothing but law to the crowds of non-Christians today, or for the past 500 years? We're not. We have to put the gospel first. After all, Lutherans were originally called evangelistica. We were gospel people before we were called Lutheran. <laughs> That's a good thing. Now, there's another theological voice, another theologian that might say, well, this is all a rejection of monergism. This really is just you saying that like we need to do the revival thing, and I'm no finny guy, and there's no tent revivals in Lutheranism. You're being stupid. You're violating everything we know about how God saves. And I already brought this up a little bit, but yes, God works through means, and those means, oftentimes in evangelism, is human freaking beings. How many Christians do you know, in all honesty, that just one day as a non-believer, they went to a hotel room, they opened up the little drawer, they found the Gideon's Bible, and they read it until they were Christians? I know, like, one. Just one. That's it. Everybody else I know that was once not a Christian and then became a Christian found themselves becoming a Christian because loving Christians evangelized to them and talked to them through all of this so that one day the seed that was planted in their heart by this benevolent sower grows and bears fruit, comes to fruition as a real believer. Let's never use theology as an excuse to disobey our Lord. 
And I fear that a whole lot of Lutheran churches for X number of decades have just been in disobedience because it was either it's somebody else's job or I don't want to do that. I don't want to change things up at this church or um, theological smokescreen. Bang. I run away. I am a Lutheran ninja now running away so nobody sees me fearfully cowering away from what Christ told us to do in regard to winning souls. The church here in decline, with declining membership, yes, it would be a painful process to just get people into the churches. And yes, it might be boring sometimes. Other times it might just be like banging your head against a wall. But if you don't want a decline, then start doing real evangelism. For the churches that are doing evangelism, good on you, wonderful, that does my heart good whenever I do hear about it. But every single church I served in, visited, or attended, that evangelism just wasn't there. It just wasn't. And the only good excuse to not do it is, we're full. <laughs> and there's no other good churches in the area to funnel people to if we were doing evangelism. So we, we're trying to do something about planting a church, but that's taking a while. It is true that you're not always supposed to be on 24-7 evangelism season. There's a season of bringing people into the church. Then there's a season of catechizing them, discipling them, bringing them into confirmation and helping them. And then you restart. Maybe you take a season of rest for the church and then you restart it. It goes in a cycle. As the writer of Ecclesiastes says, there is a time for everything. Now, for individuals who are interested, how do you do an evangelism? Well, for one, for freedom, Christ has set you free. You have a lot of options here. There is no one exact way to go about it. If you like passing out event, you know, gospel tracts and stuff or chick tracts, for us law and gospel people here, that's a great way because Jack Chick was great at the law. However, please find something that isn't Jack Chick if possible. Have something that has your church on it. Have uh, an evangelism packet that maybe the congregation comes up with and prints out and then you can put it up on community boards if you don't want to do face-to-face -face kind of interactions. If you want to just invite friends, that counts. If you want to, I don't know, post online from a Facebook account about your church and invite people from there because you're more comfortable typing, you have the freedom to do that. I praise the Lord for this kind of freedom too because if we were all told to do the exact same thing as like the Mormons where we have to knock on doors, yeah, if Lutherans did that, a lot of us would get beaten up, <laughs> unfortunately. But it could also be just so simple as like, hey, I don't have any close friends, but I want to have more friends, and then I could invite them. Okay, community engagement is a great way to do this. It could be as simple as joining your local square dancing group or joining, I don't know, if you're a gamer that likes D&D &D or something like that, going to the comic shop. Or if you like martial arts like me, doing martial arts, or joining a community service organization that builds playgrounds for kids out in the park. These are all legitimate ways to get to know people, show them you love them, care about them, and then, you know, maybe invite them to a service. There's many, many, many ways to skin a cat, and God has given us freedom. And if all of these don't apply to you, you just can't. For one reason or another, you work 13 hours a day, 
or you are old or disabled and it's not within your power to do it, you can still support them. You can be part of your welcome team at church. You can donate to it. You can do all sorts of things to help out so that the church is working together. But my goodness, can we say that this is not just a matter of it's somebody else's job. We have some people doing that in Africa. And after all, the pastor should be the one bringing in the people, not me. If all Lutherans decided this is on us as a church together, it would be slow. It would probably be like pulling teeth. Might be unpleasant, might be fun. But eventually, this decline in membership would either stabilize or, by the grace of God, reverse. And we would see the growth that we have sorely needed for so long. Amen and amen.